If you like betting on golf But everyone that you back misses the cut Get some experts involved With all the stats and the tips and so much more Cause it's the golf betting system The golf betting system is the golf betting system Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 215. This is our 2022 US Open Research Podcast. Paul Williams joins me, Steve Bamford, to discuss this year's third major championship. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Sunny. Beautiful here. Same with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice bit of morning sunshine to greet us on this fine Friday morning. Flaming June. (laughs) Please please subscribe to this podcast as you drive the popularity of the show. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can visit begambleaware.org for more information. And of course, please bet responsibly. Visit our world-famous golf betting system website with our in-depth betting previews, tournament form statistics, form charts including combined course plus current, and our predictive models. All of these features like this podcast are completely free of charge with no paywall. We're available on Twitter. Paul is at Golf Betting. I am at Bamford Golf. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. Plus, look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel, where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. Please subscribe and like the shows. Come and subscribe to that channel. We're uh, aiming for 3,000 subscribers, and we're getting very close. So uh, come to that Golf uh, Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel. Subscribe. And uh, we put the podcast on there. Uh, Chuck it a like if you're listening on YouTube. And uh, I also do the golf betting show every week. Now, you guys as listeners power this podcast. So we need your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts as ever. For those of you who leave a review, I will read them out at the start of a future show. Leave your name and where you are in the review. Please, we're, uh, the reservoir is starting to get slightly low. So please, any new five-star reviews that you write, they are going to be read out very, very soon. So please spend 30 seconds, write us a review. We'd be most appreciative. It just drives this podcast ever onwards in terms of the amount of people that download it. Right, this one, Stats and Bants, five stars. Was recommended this podcast about a year ago by a friend. It's now part of weekly ritual before deciding who to bet on. The perfect blend of statistics and banter. We also get a good load of laughs every time Steve says, Wacky Neiman. And that is from Killian and Michael. Uh, They are in the fair city of Dublin. Thank you, chaps. Yeah, lovely stuff. Thanks, chaps, for taking the time to to review us. Very much appreciated. Stats and bants, Paul. There ain't been a lot of banter on uh, golf Twitter this week. I know that much. Um, we're not. We're not going to listeners. We're going to disappoint you. We are not talking LIV whatsoever on this podcast. So forget about that. We are going to focus solely on the third major, which is the US Open, which starts next Thursday. It's quite nice not to talk about live or think about live or. Do anything with liver in it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's enough um, enough commentary happening <laughs> everywhere at the moment. If you want to take that in, take it in. If you want to listen to what our thoughts are on the uh, the likely setup and uh, what we're likely to see at uh, Brookline next week, then uh, stick around. It does look a lovely golf course. It does. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. When I did the research a couple of months ago, there were there were quite a few comments that you read from articles, designers, players, course superintendents, saying that it had a kind of Scottish Highlands feel to it. Mm. There's a lot yeah. of exposed rock, isn't there, on the course? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of hills and mounds, a bit of fescue. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't quite call them pot, pot bunkers, but the bunkers are, are kind of that style, aren't they? Um, yeah. So yeah, I can I can see that. I can I can see the uh, see the logic there. And wherever we've been going recently, 
in terms of major championships and a lot of PGA Tour events. The the buzzwords have been renovation, restoration, shaved areas. And I don't see a lot of shaved areas on this golf course, which in a way is going to be kind of quite refreshing. Mm. It seems a very. I mean, you were talking about the bunkers. Yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some, there's some very good bunkering here, and that bunkering, even on the drone flyovers that I'm seeing on the U.S. Open website, which I will put a link to in the description box, the rough looks plenty juicy and plenty yeah. of fescue as well. Plenty of fescue. Yeah, yeah. I've not quite seen the first. Um image or video on uh, social media of balls disappearing into the rough but you know it's coming don't you you do here yeah Kevin Nahr normally puts up a video like that and Kevin Nahr's US Open record doesn't tend to be the best I don't think it'd be very good next week when he's getting shouted at on every hole Mm, by uh, some Boston individuals some vociferous Boston golf fans. The Country Club, Brookline. Um, we are looking at a Willie Campbell 1895 golf course. Wow. Um, yeah, one of the oldest courses in the United yeah. States, if oh, not it's the. A, it's a proper classical. It was one of the five originals, wasn't you it? Got it? Had a Reese Jones US Open. Doctor, 1988 restoration. But, as is the norm these days, Gil Hance got his hands on this golf course in uh, from 2009 ongoing. And Hance was the guy that did the work at Southern Hills uh, last month that we saw. It's a classical golf course. It's a par 70. Um. You know, I got you to change the yardage pet yesterday, Paul. I've actually made a mm. mistake. Sorry. So you're going to have to change that back. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll cross that bridge after this. You, you, you can you can slack me off my... Uh, 7,264 yards. Right. Holes with watering has, hazards uh, too. The fairways are bent grass. The rough is a right old mixture. It's a perennial rye, Kentucky bluegrass. There's some poana in there, and there's also some fescue. Um... It it varies from one and a half to five inches in length. Some of it's even knee high, as you get with fescue. Greens on average four thousand five hundred square feet. So they're actually larger than the greens that we're seeing this week at St George's on the Canadian Open. Uh, they feature again bent grass. Uh, you said to me a while ago. You said to me this morning, actually, or was it yesterday? It, 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 and this is going to sound ridiculously stupid, but it, it, visually, there's definitely a a link to the local PGA Tour stop off, which is TPC Boston. Yep. Yeah, aesthetically, there's some um, similarities there, and and that is a Gil Hans original. Yep. They played the Do- they used to play the Deutsche Bank there. They occasionally play the or well, they used to play the Deutsche that then became the Dell Tech that then has become the Northern Trust that they played in twenty twenty. I think that was the one that DJ won at like thirty under par or something. Yeah, that's the difference fundamentally. Is that, that will play or, or TPC Boston will play far easier than uh, yeah, cool. we're likely to see it at Brookline next week. But yeah, aesthetically, and I, I you know, I go back to when you've previewed it in the past, and you often kind of link um, a, a linksy feel to it in various places to, to TPC Boston, and you know, you have to be very careful labelling any tracker links because this is, certainly isn't a links, but, um, you know, with some of the features, aesthetic features, you can kind of see the similarities between the two. Wandering fairways. Mm. You get some. You get holes here that are wandering fairways between mounds, yeah, and at some points they thin down as, as, as you know, like eight yards wide at kind of, 3.30, where a lot of these big boys are landing the balls these days. Yeah. So there's going to be some risk and reward in here, I think. Because, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, Tony Finals of the world, they like to take driver on holes. So that's great until you hit it 
three yards to the left and all of a sudden you're in knee-high fescue. Mm. That's the thing with the US Open, isn't it? A lot of it really is a, a mental approach. It's playing par golf, knowing that yeah. par golf is very, very effective. That's why Tommy Fleetwood's so good at US Open. They face facts. Uh, full disclosure, I'm, I backed Tommy. Only five places each way. But I backed him last week with Ladbrokes. I got a boost to 75 to 1. So that's my first US Open bet. Very nice. Um, I'm just looking right now. And I'm seeing him at a flat 50s everywhere. Yeah, there'll be some movement. We've started to see some movement this morning with the bookies, with final markets. Um, we were recording this just after nine o'clock on Monday, uh, Friday morning here in the UK, and Boyle Sports have just gone 11 places. They're, what seems to be their staple, 11 places each way, yeah. a fifth of the odds at the majors, um, literally in the last few moments. So um, we're starting to see some movement, which would be good. Um, as to how that will manifest, because some of the bookies undoubtedly play the um, longer price and uh, short, shorter each way terms game this week. So fun and games to come. Yeah, we are a supporter of Boyle Sports on the podcast for the obvious reason that they give away the most additional places across the year. Across all of the DP World Tour, the PJ Tour, and of course the majors. And yes, they switched on to 11 places each way at 9 o'clock this morning. Um, Tommy Fleetwood is a 40 to 1 chance. And I tell you what, at 11 places each way, I don't think that's a bad shout whatsoever. Mm. Yep. Because I'd be very surprised if Tommy isn't somewhere around the top 10 come Sunday afternoon at the US Open because he is the perfect player that will just go out there, hit fairways, hit greens. He's got a decent enough scrambling game and he can just about make enough putts to be relevant. So, yeah, I'm on Tommy. I've got 75-1 to 1 boosted with Ladbrokes. I might have a little bit of that 40-1 to 1 with Boyles as well. I think as an insurance bet, Tommy isn't going to be a bad bet this week. Mm. And from a predictive model perspective, Tommy won't get a lot of steam because he hasn't had the best. Well, he hasn't had the best of two years. But I think fundamentally, he straightened the driver recently. I think the next step on Tommy's uh, move foot, the putter's decent. The, the next step is to get to Tommy's legendary powers of greens in regulation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I think he'll need this week. Yeah. Right back to the course. It's, it is a beaut. It has to be said. It, I, I prefer this course to Southern Hills. Just visually, it looks nice. Um, Gil Hans designs, a lot of this goes back to what we were saying at the PGA, but if you want to look at Gil Hans form, Aronimink, 2019 BMW Championship on the PGA Tour. Uh, Plainfield, the Barclays, 2011-2015. Ridgewood Country Club, the Barclays and Northern Trusts, 2010, 2014, 2018. Southern Hills, you might notice that, 2022 PGA from last month. Uh, Trump National Doral, 2014 through 2016, where they used to play the old WGC Cadillac Championship. TPC Boston, which is about 35 miles up the road from this, is a Gil Hance original. So loads of data there. Winged Foot where Bryson DeChambeau bludgeoned his way to the 2020 US Open. Was it 2020 or 2021? 2020, yeah, I think. 2020, yeah, that'd be wrong. They all merge into one with this COVID. <laughs> 2020 and 2021, we're all stuck at home, really. So. No competitors, viewers or punters will have seen the country club in its new 2022 US Open guys since the 1957 US Amateur. For additional yardage purposes, a composite championship course had excluded three holes on the main course to stretch the total length by circa 450 yards. But this all changes in 2022 with the rerouting including selected holes from the next door Primrose course and the addition 
of the iconic 130-yard downhill par 312th, which again looks a beautiful hole. Very similar to the postage stamp or the... Um, What's the one at Pebble Beach? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it the ninth, is it? Yeah. Which will actually play as the 11th this week or next week when you're listening to this. The par three will be included for the first time in the US Open at Brookline since 1913 when the United States Open Championship returns to the country club after a 34-year absence. So 7,264 yards, it's a par 70, it is a strict par 70 layout, two par fives. The second of which you and I were discussing this morning is a 619 yarder. It's the 14th and it plays into the prevailing wind. So to all intents and purposes that is going to be a 100 to 125 yard wedge pretty much for the whole field yeah yeah and it's it's uphill and blind from memory which and that's the point with a lot of these holes there's visually um there are a lot of blind shots and you know some players like to physically be able to see the pin um you know to get to get a sight line to get a feel as to how they're going to play the play the hole mm. um, and you're not going to get that on a lot of these holes a lot of these holes are, are blind there's dog legs you know as you described it's a it's a, it's a proper classical test and uh, i get a feeling that caddies are going to be really quite important this week you know have you got some assistance from your caddy um particularly for players that uh, you know do rely on the, the sight lines more than more than others if if you're not getting that you're going to need some some real strength and support from a caddy and you know best will in the world not all of the players got that some of them are literally just bag carriers so um no yeah, names mentioned something <laughs> yeah, that's something something to con- consider i think this week just on my analysis paul I've gone through the course. Mm. Um, the dogleg shapes seem to balance out. I don't. I yep. don't. I don't see any no, left to right or right to left. There's a. There's like I said, a lot of these holes are very meandering. You get a kind of diagonal tee shot, but the second shot is straight. The second shot, as you said, can be uphill, downhill. Some of them are blind. A lot of the drives are blind, which gives it that linksy kind of feel. We do get that at quite a few Lynx golf courses. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think an open championship background would be a negative for any player. Put it that way. No. The one thing I've noticed over what I saw at Southern Hills when I did the same analysis, which was far more wind affected because we're not looking at as much wind this week at the US Open or next week. So I don't think it's going to be as wind-affected as the PGA. The yardages on approach seem slightly different to me. There were quite a few holes at the Southern Hills where wedge a flick with a wedge was the, the ultimate shot into the green. Mm. The way I'm working this one out, I've got five approaches at 100 to 125 yards. I've got five at 150 to 175. That though that was only two back at the PGA. So a lot more mid-irons. Mm. And where you had five approaches, 200 plus at Southern Hills, there's four this week. So I might be looking at 150 to 175 as a as a key approach zone, which I didn't actually need to do at southern hills yeah yeah so play you know players who are good with their their irons around that kind of you know what you're talking an eight or a nine iron potentially for most of these pros that kind of level it wasn't really in play as you say at southern hills so yeah maybe one of those stats to really delve into on the pga tour site i think um Three of the threes at Southern Hills were, were over 200 and kind of mm. 232, mid-220s. Yeah. Um, this week, we're looking par threes. The second is 215. The sixth is 192. 
The third, as we discussed, on the scorecard, it's it's coming up as 131. And the, the last one, the 16th, is 202. So they're not as lengthy, the par threes. But clearly, where the penalty was for missing greens at Southern Hills was a pretty nasty chip in many occasions, or you know, off of um, shaved area. The penalty this time looks like it's going to be completely U.S. Open-like, deep, gnarly, rough, and that's your U.S. Open setup, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think the other consideration here is the greens. In in that a lot of them are canted. A lot of them are. Um kind of almost diagonally canted so there's yeah you can leave yourself um under the hole with an uphill putt from 20 or 30 feet and it's probably quite comfortable if you go the wrong side of the greens you, you can be on the putting surface 50 foot away with a, you know, a horribly downhill mm. bending left to right or right to left that that's uh you know it's, it's bringing three putts into the equation all the time so you playing yeah, but playing a sensible and uh, strategic game that puts you in position off the tee to be able to play to the right part of greens has got to be the game, I think. Otherwise, you can get found out very, very quickly, even if you are hitting greens in regulation. A kind of putt where you've got no hope of getting it within eight to nine feet. Well, yeah, this is the it. Ball you, know, just, all, you can't get the ball stopped quickly enough, yeah, close yeah, to the hole. You know, yeah, if if te- if anything inside ten feet is a good result, then you know te- three putting is going to be brought into the equation much more. So, so yes, finding the right part of uh, greens is going to be just as just as critical. And again, that's down to kind of your strategic play, your 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 approach to the patient approach to the game. I think. I thought the design at that 14th par 5 was interesting as well. 619 yards in length. It features the mm. second smallest hole on the golf course. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes it a three-shotter. The risk and reward of going for that in two, oh, yeah. when it's surrounded by some of the nastiest rough in pro golf, probably meaning that most into a prevailing wind means that it's pretty much a three-shot for all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to struggle. You know, these these greens are likely to be reasonably firm um, anyway. A lot of the history, a lot of the um, a lot of the sound bites from how this course plays refer to the firm greens. And I think unless there's a stack of rain in the very direct build up to this tournament, which doesn't look to be the case, um, then we're likely to find it plays relatively firm, uh, relatively fast, and. Yeah, if you if you're attacking a tiny green from a from a long distance, um, trying to hold that green is going to be a hell of a challenge. I think. For those of you who uh, want to look at my research piece, it's again available in the description, so the podcast description. So there's loads and loads of detail in there about the course. Mm. Um, you will beyond. It'll probably batter your brains until um, you, you can't think anymore, but you're going to read all of next week about the fact that they played a US amateur here in 2013. Yep. I've actually listed out in the preview a list of who played in it with you know relevant names and how well they did. Um, I, if there's any relevance to that, I've got no idea whatsoever. But, you know, failed to qualify for match play. Taylor Gooch, Max Homer, Neesmith, Poston, Davis Riley, who's on a tear, Justin Thomas, Cam Young, Will Zalatoris. I mean, it's all irrelevant, really. At least you know that they've been to the course and they played it back in 2013. But, of course, everyone's going to hark back to the fact that Matt Fitzpatrick won that particular US amateur he um, he he got to the final clearly and won. Corey Connors made the semis. Uh, Scotty Scheffler made the quarters. Uh, defeated in the third round was Xander. Defeated in the second round, DeChambeau. Um Yeah, that's about all, all she wrote really in terms of names that have probably got a half a sniff of winning this. But yeah, it's all there. Yep. 
Yes, of some relevance, I guess. And um, prior to that, we're going all the way back to 1988, aren't we? When uh, Curtis Strange won at six under par. That six under par number kind of feels about right, I think, for this. It's kind of where we've been in recent times in anything but you know very soft or very challenging conditions, and it kind of seems to be somewhere in the middle this this coming week. But yes, 34 years old for a, um, a regular stroke play, US Open, isn't really going to give you a great deal of clues, I don't think. He beat in the final an Australian, Oliver Goss. Hmm. Um, this is a comment from Fitzpatrick. I'd probably say this week what's come out most is that my short game has just been really, really top draw. I'd say my weakest part of my game was into the greens. And really sort of over the past three years, my strongest part of my game has always been good off the tee and I hit lots of greens. But it's always harder to come to a course that's 7,300 yards as well as I'm not the longest hitter and hitting three irons into these greens which are very, very small. But I'd probably say this week that what's come out more than anything is just how well my short gain and putting has been. And those are his words after he'd lifted the US Amateur Trophy in 2013. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and he kind of fits, doesn't he, from a classical... I know this isn't tree-lined to the extent of some of the uh, some of the courses where Fitzpatrick's done well on, but um, in terms of a classical-style setup, I think that kind of suits him. Um, he's gained a little bit of length since uh, since those days, but even so, he's... He's still pretty good on and around the greens, um, certainly with his short game. So, yeah, I think that's it's, it's, it's not a terrible template um, to, to be looking at Matt's, Matt Fitzpatrick for next week. This was from Corey Connors, beaten semi-finalist. You can look kind of silly out here if you get on the wrong side of the hole. Sometimes the best chip might be 30 or 40 feet away. But if you leave yourself with uphill shots, you're always going to have a chance to get it close. And I was able to do that. And I did hit some really nice chips and pitches when I was below the hole to give myself nice looks at par. So course management, as you said, yeah. up, uphill shots beneath the hole. And again, that, that means a certain type of player that's got a certain kind of... Um, just that kind of diligence to be able to play that kind of golf and not yeah. go pin-seeking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a patient mentality. It's a major is often the case. mentality, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, as is often the case at the US Open in particular. Right, I have listed in my... Pre- oh, yes, uh, so that's the course. Let's talk weather. Um, the course has had a 45 millimetres of rain so far in June. Um, May was quite dry, 53 millimetres. Looking at the long um, the long picture forecast, doesn't look like a lot of rain until we get to Sunday, potentially Sunday evening. There's a 30% chance. Monday looks like it could be wet in that early Monday morning as the players are arriving on the course. Yeah. Um, there's a 75 to 80% chance of rain Monday morning. From that point on, there doesn't really look a lot of chance of rain. It looks quite nice weather up in Massachusetts, it has to be said. Uh, from a wind perspective, it's not looking particularly nasty either. Thursday, I mean, it's long-term forecast, I get that. But wind find it doesn't off, it isn't often off the charts wrong. Um, wind finder, I'm using the Newton station. 10 to 15 on Thursday, temperatures up to 30 degrees Celsius. Nice. Uh, Friday looks the roughest day in terms of wind, potentially gusting 20 to 25, 28 degrees Celsius. And then over the weekend, it's dead, dead calm, wind-wise. Temperatures actually drop back to mid to mid-20s, sort of 22s, 23s. Mm. So weekend... So let, let's think this through. No chance of really of significant rain. Wind really, the only day that wind's going to be pretty much a problem is 
the Friday, a calm Saturday and Sunday. You and I were talking off mic that we think that you know the USGA, the core superintendents, can get these these greens nice and firm if they want yep. to. Yep. I don't see a dissimilar winning score to what we've seen in recent um, US Opens. No, 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 I think it's that, that kind of mid single digits under par. Yeah. Ram bracket. six under, DeChambeau six under, the last yeah. two. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I don't think we're gonna see anything stupid like potentially twenty eighteen when Kepka won. I think that was a one over. Yeah, the wind doesn't suggest it's gonna be like that, but then if it's if it's firm, they're not going to have to do anything to kind of slow these greens down with no wind. So, the, the, you know, you'd imagine that the greens are going to be nice and firm, going to be nice and fast as well. Um, and I think that will probably be where the biggest challenge is. Uh, well, it's going to be a challenge across the whole course, isn't it? But, you know, if you're not hitting fairways, yeah. then you're not controlling shots into greens, you're not holding greens, you're going to have to rely on your short games. So it's going to be a really good all-round test with no... Um, external factors that are going to really influence how players uh, can play. They're just going to have to play well. That was the last over par US Open. We had 2018 at Shinnecock. Mm. He won at one over. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking again. The last two wind-affected PGAs have been six under apiece. Yeah. We saw that at Southern Hills a few weeks ago. That was um, that was one at five under by Thomas, six under by Mickelson. I don't think the PGA really want that as a winning score. I just think because the courses have been so wind affected on both, that's kind of the way it's worked out when you're yeah, playing yeah. such long, tough golf courses. I think you're going to get that kind of five, six under this week, not because of wind, but just because of turf conditions and rough. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Five, six, seven under. I think that's where we're going to end up at. Yeah, and as I say, yeah, that was exactly where where Curtis Strange was back in '88, six under. Yeah. There were eleven players under par in total that that year, so that's not a bad indication of what we may see this week or this coming week. Hmm, it's all food for thought, isn't it? Paddy Powerpole have just gone ten places each way. Uh, as at Betfair Sportsbook. Starting to see some movement, as as always in the week, or the Friday before the majors. Uh, Scotty Scheffler is the favourite, according to Paddy Powell. He's 11-1. to Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, 12 under par. A 12 under par? What am I talking about? (laughs) 12-1. to There's then a bit of a jump, which we haven't seen at last few majors. There's a tiny bit of a gap between the top four. Cam Smith at 18. Thanks, Cam, for shooting six under yesterday at the Canadian Open. I appreciate that. Uh, so I'll be in the same boat with Cam Smith as I was with Will Zanatoris at the PGA. Oh, because he missed the cut for me at the Byron Nelson. Oh, I'm not going anywhere near Zanatoris. He came second. I've got the hump with Cam Smith, so I won't want to back him at the US Open. So I expect he's right in the mix come... Uh, Come Friday, Saturday. He's 18 to 1, Smith. Xander at his usual 20 to 1 with Patrick Cantlay and Jordan Spieth. We've got Matthew Fitzpatrick at 22 to 1 to win the US Open. Can you believe it? He's in the same price as Victor Hovland. And then at 25 to 1, we have Will Zalatoris. Colin Morikawa and Shane Lowry. Good God. I suppose you're going to get that with Paddy Powell. And then 28 to 1, Sam Burns, Brooks Kepka, who I wouldn't touch with your money, Paul. And Wacky Neiman, 28 to 1. And it's 33 to 1 bar, those. Dustin Johnson at 33 to 1. Who defunct it, eh? With same price as Tony T two fee now. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of disparity as well, isn't there? Unibet short sixteens with DJ thirty threes with ten places. Paddy, yeah. It's uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how how Clap he responds to 
to this week, but yeah. I don't think Brooks Kepka will have been doing much practicing of late. Just no, look, he look, seems looking, to have been busy, at his, isn't he? looking at his life at the moment. Um, his major performances of late have been useless as well, um, as some of my stake money has um, become <laughs> accustomed to. So I can confirm to listeners right now, I will be going nowhere near, near Brooks Kepka this week. And if you read anything about Brooks Kepka's, Kepka's major ceiling, do you gen? Anyway, it's just not. It's not happening for Brooks Kepka. Maybe he's going to be full of happy endomorphines and he'll play like Brooks Kepka used to play at majors. Yeah, just turn up and uh, start hoovering up. You can't dispute his major record, his US Open record. Uh, it just seems to have been a little bit off the ball and a little bit distracted, as uh, as you can expect. Uh, LIV rumblings as well with Kepka, but you know, clearly with his brother Chase playing. <laughs> so um, yeah again uh, personally I'm not going through anyone that's being linked to LIV for uh, obvious reasons I don't think their mind's really on the US Open job of, of you know of winning a major mm. um, so we could go through some trends some US Open trends yeah it sounds good I have got on the preview every North Eastern major championship result since 2013 so that goes all the way back to the to Merion and Oak Hill 2013 US Opens and Majors. So if you want to look for players and how well they've done in majors in this part of the country, that's worth a look. Um, one thing I've put in the preview, Northeastern United States pedigree. Another intriguing aspect to the last seven winners of major championships held in the northeastern United States is a proven track record in the area prior to capturing their title. Now, the degree of pedigree varies across champions, as it would with winning prizes, which vary from 16 to 1 for Dustin Johnson at the US Open, held at uh, Oakmont, through to 150 to 1 for Jimmy Walker when he won the PGA, which they hosted at Bolter's role. But what is irrefutable is that every winner of a major championship held in this area since the start of 2013 had previous wins or top 10 finishes in Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York or Pennsylvania prior to lifting their respective trophy. So that's one I will be looking through. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's for agronomy or conditions or just a general feel of the the area, I guess. These trends, of course, are always there to be shot down, and we are in a year a, a, a trend and a time of young back buccaneering talent. Yeah, I mean, we've only got to look at the last major, haven't we? Where who would have thought? Who would have thought that my old mucker Mito Pereira would have been mm. standing on the seventy second tee? holding the PGA Championship trophy in his hands if he made par. Damn. But he, yeah, and what, what but was he, just his second uh, second major start as well? That would have been a real coup, wouldn't it? Exactly. But eventually, someone by the name of Justin Thomas came and won the playoff. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know. This is, you've just got to look at these different kinds of angles, I think. Uh and that kind of northeastern United States history of PGA Tour events or majors, people that have performed well in the area, is something that I will definitely be taking a look at. Yeah, and TPC Boston in particular, as we've mentioned, as 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 a, a flavour as to what uh, what what uh, we might expect to a certain degree. Notwithstanding the, the scoring is way different, but yeah. Yeah, all good background, I think. I'm quickly looking at one individual player on my screen to see if he's got any history in the area. Uh, not sure he has, but anyway. So that's something I will definitely be looking at. Um, the other thing that I really like here, and just US Opens in general, I've got a huge piece here key player statistics to look out for and I know that you've joined me in this just looking at trends of winners 
Mm. Yeah. And what they were good at. Um, I mean, there's a whole piece here. Long and not particularly straight is the title. US Opens are all about the length of the rough. Every year from the Monday of Tournament Week, we see videos on social media with balls disappearing into rough and never reappearing. In every player interview prior to the off, the mantra is, got to keep the ball in the fairway, as it's continually repeated. The time-old discussion prior to prior to US Opens is how does the USGA's policy of four-inch-plus rough actually affect the outcome of the tournament? Long and straight works is something I utter on our US Open Golf Betting System podcast every year, but what? But is that actually true? Well, a perusal of the last seven winners' season-long statistics is quite revealing. Jordan Spieth in 2015 was the shortest off the tee, although he ranked 43rd for driving distance all drives, which is long enough. But from 2016 onwards, it's clear that brute power off the tee is paramount. That was certainly the strategy for Bryson DeChambeau at Wingfoot in 2020, who with his immense power was hitting short irons and wedges from the rough as close as the gr- to the green as possible. That yep. dynamic was always going to slightly change last year on a Torrey Pine South course, which features gnarly, tough Kikuyu gruff. Sure enough, long and straight won the day, with John Rahm ranking in the top five for strokes gained off the tee, the top ten for total driving, and 13th for driving distance. Now, the one thing I take from all of this, Paul, I'm going back here to 2016, Dustin Johnson. These were driving distance all-drive ranks the year that they won their US Open. DJ, second. Brooks Kepka third. Brooks Kepka fifth. Gary Woodland, 17th. Bryson DeChambeau, first. John Rahm, eighth. One, two, three, four, five. That is the last six US Open winners, all with ranks in the top 17 for driving distance, all drives on the PGA Tour. Yeah, and even Spieth, as you said, wasn't way out of the uh, equation either. Yeah, yeah. Picking players who are in that kind of top quartile, I guess, or thereabouts of that stat um, wouldn't be a bad starting point, I don't think, because that stat really is quite consistent. I'll that makes through, sense, doesn't it? I'll go through the respective driving accuracies. Mm. DJ, 138. Kepka, 154. Kepka, 155. Woodland, 79. DeChambeau, 140. Rahm, 61st. Yeah. So long and crooked can work at a US Open. Yeah. Let me give you the um, the current rankings for the players in this field for the, the driving distance all drives right now. Uh, John Rahm is first in that stat right now. Cameron Young, won't surprise you, second. Luke List is fifth. Joseph Bramlett, sixth. Uh, Rory's eighth. Brooks Kepka, ninth. Dustin Johnson, tenth. Just outside of that, Justin Thomas, eleventh. Will Zalatoris is going to be popular this week. Thirteenth. Scotty Scheffler, fourteenth. So some likely names there. And, you know, given that that stat really is quite consistent. Wouldn't surprise at all to find the winner just out of that set of names in isolation. Mm. Luke List's an interesting name, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, feels a, feels quite a Luke Listy style, uh, of course. I'm just scrolling for list at Boyle Sports. 80 to 1 Luke list, 11 places each way, 50 odds. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you get three figures with some extended places by the time we get into the early part of next week. Hundreds, 125 maybe. Don't know about you, with Luke list, I would take every each way place available. (laughs) Oh, don't. I've put him up. In the, my long shots piece, in at least I forget which one it was, either the Masters or the USPJ, or potentially both. And uh, Mr. Cut, yeah, yeah he has a, he has got a top ten in a major though. I think yeah, he has a PGA yeah. at Beth Page Black. Yeah, no, I, I think he he will reward each way backers eventually. 
And Again. Where, yeah. And where did he win his PGA Tour title this year? The first maiden title. Yeah. Torrey yeah. Pines South, where they played the US Open last year, beating Will Zalatoris in that playoff. Yeah. Clearly, I was on Zalatoris. <laughs> so, yeah. Interesting numbers then, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly an aspect to consider. There's, there's, there's different ways you can cut it down. There's a few you've alluded to in that uh, in, in your preview because you've also got the all-round rankings of recent performances, the total driving um, mm. rankings of uh, recent performances as well, which, um, again, they've been really quite consistent um, in terms of players who've popped up either on the very last start. So you've got, uh, got Canada to consider with a number of the players in the field this week um, as to how they play there but yeah players who are striking the ball long and straight so that's your total driving stat or just players who are generally in really good strong form and, and producing a good strong all-round performance and an all-round stat that, uh, that catches the eye both of those worth a considered look this week it's interesting with what you mentioned there Strokes gained off the tee. Going back to Jordan Spieth in 2015. These were the strokes gained off the tee in their appearance prior to winning the US Open. Yeah, I don't, I don't make any of this stuff up. It's 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 fact, yes. I know people look. Oh God, he goes on about these trends. But it's just painting the picture, isn't it? Jordan Spieth before he won his US Open at Chambers Bay, was fifth for off the tee at Memorial. DJ was fourth for off the tee at St Jude. Brooks Kepka was second for off the tee at St Jude. Brooks Kepka was fifth for off the tee at the uh, St Jude. The one that cocks the trend up is Gary Woodland. Now, Gary Woodland was uh, 50, uh, 66th for strokes gained off the tee at Memorial before he then flew over to Pebble Beach and won the US Open. Yeah. The one thing you can say about Gary Woodland, though, and this is worth checking from a uh, trends perspective, he was seventh for off the tee the previous outing where he'd finished in the top 10 at the PGA Championship. So there's even something in there. It wasn't as if he was driving the ball horribly. He was actually in the top seven at the major that he played before winning the US Open. Yeah. Which would have been exactly the same time slots as well back in 2019. So they paid the PGA four or five weeks before they played the US Open, right? DeChambeau was 16th for off the tee at Eastlake in that ridiculous 2020 year. And then last year, we had John Rahl, who was the 54-hole leader at Memorial before he had to walk away from the tournament because he had COVID. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He ranked first for off the tee over those first 54 holes when he was six shots clear and about to lift the Memorial Trophy. Mm. So let me just recount that. First, 16th. Fifth, second, fourth, fifth. We can throw Woodland in, seventh for off the tee. Uh, the second outing before winning the PGA. So if you're looking for any kind of trend that relates nicely to a winner of the US Open, it strokes gained off the tee in their preceding two outings. Yeah. And again, that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, it, it ties in with the fact that you've got to hit it relatively uh, relatively far down and far down the fairway and be in the position to, to gain some shots from that, you know, from a decent drive, effectively. I don't think you're winning the US Open driving the ball badly, are you? Or you're a, or you're a short driver of the golf ball full stop no no it's you know you look at some of the metrics on these holes and 480 490 par fours and if you're hitting it 260 you know, direct left or direct right right into four or five inch rough and having to try and try and make your way from 220 out to to the green and to a sloping green that you've got to be the right side of uh, yeah it's you just can't put yourself in that awkward position you've got to uh got to be far if, if, and if you're going to miss the fairways you've got to be a long way up the uh, long way up the hole simple as that just just looking at these numbers it it, it, it doesn't do us a great deal of favours because it's just showing the, the, the normal names that you would expect mm. 
Yeah, that's just... You know, last week at Memorial, Wacky Neiman was second, Zalatoris third, Young fourth. Mito was seventh, McElroy was ninth for off the tee. Cantlay 11th, Im 12th. Go back to Colonial, Perea was first off the tee, Scheffler was second. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not helping. Yep. Zalatoris third. Hovland, no, but fifth. you know, you, you say not helping. Perhaps it is, Steve. Perhaps it's helping to narrow the list down to the the, the real true competitors. If those guys are relatively short, but they're the ones who are going to really feature in the tournament, then mm. that's the way to play it potentially. Sam Burns seventh the week he won at Colonial. Mm. Interesting stuff, Paul. Yes. I guess the the other point, um, and it's something that you've you mentioned quite, um, uh, I think it must have been immediately after the US PGA Championship, yep. was the performances of recent major winners yep. on their very most recent major outing. Mm-hmm. So players who've played well in a major and then gone and won the next week, and I know. You've done some analysis on this. I've done a bit of analysis on this as well, and um, well, I'll, I'll just read. Should, I'll just I, go, read should I go through the? Oh, should I go through the first list? Yeah, you go through yours, right. and then I'll this goes back it, to yeah. Bryson, twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, when I mention the number, this is where they finished their previous major. Mm-hmm. Right, Bryson T five, Hideki T three. Mickelson, T21. Rahm, T10. Morikawa, T5. Scheffler, T10. Thomas, T10. Yep. Yeah. Well, the worst there is Mickelson at 21st. If you go back from there, I mean, Morikawa won the previous major to that. Um, he hadn't played at the US Open, so that was the immediate... Um, yeah, 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 major before that. Before that, he finished thirty fifth. Larry twenty eighth. Uh, Woodland eighth. Kepka second. Woods second. Kepka thirty ninth. So that's the biggest number so far. Uh, Molinari twenty fifth. Kepka thirteenth. Reed second. You have to go all the way back to Justin Thomas in the twenty seventeen US PGA Championship before you find someone who missed the cut on their previous start. Every other one finished in the top 40 or considerably yeah. better. So that's in that... So when we say previous start, you mean previous major start. Yes, sorry. Yes. Pre- pre- yeah, yeah. Previous major championship so, start. So just taking the PGA Championship... I know you're going to go through some more numbers, but I'm just, just being general, a bit more general about mm. it. If we go back to the PGA um, from a few weeks ago, I wish I had the, uh, the right one up. The first one that jumps to the front of my mind is because I I backed him. Was um, it would it would rule out Scotty Scheffler, yeah, because he missed the cut at the PGA. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a whole list of them. I mean, you've got Kepka, uh, Matsuyama, uh, Bryson, Hovland, John Rahm. You know, if you're going down to this um, top forty or better, Morikawa. Uh, DJ Cantley, and yeah. Scheffler, as you say, you know, there's, there's a... that's another one people put out there. Cantley, you know, oh, you know, he's got to do well in his next major. He's got to make a breakthrough. I don't disagree with any of that, but if you're going mm. off that trend, he ain't going to win it. Yeah, and you know, and you've said trend, you know, quite rightly, trends are there to be broken, but it really is quite um, quite stark that one. Um, you know, you go. That's, that's an awful lot of consecutive majors where it's been a top top forty or better finish in the previous major championship. So who, I think I, you, you've done this piece of combination work, then, haven't you? Linking all this yeah. together, and you've got a list of names. So uh, the the two the two really stark stats that we've gone through um, are this particular one, so last major performance, yeah, and then driving distance all drives, yeah. 
And I've been a little bit more generous with the driving distance all drives. I've gone out to around about the top 50 or thereabouts. So actually, as, as I said, it's kind of the top quartile or thereabouts. Yeah, you're going back and, to that uh, Jordan Spieth number that I read out. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah thereabouts. Trying Just, to be yeah. inclusive. Right, go on then. Yeah, yeah so I, did, I didn't want to get too, uh, you know, take a knife to it too much. But I've come, if, if you combine both of those facts together, mm-hmm. um, you come down to a short list of 16 players. Now, I'll read them through in, um, I've got it sorted here by DraftKings salary. So roughly what the odds will be from top to bottom. So at the top, Justin Thomas fits that criteria. Rory McIlroy, Cameron Smith, Xander, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris, whose name keeps cropping up for this, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, Joaquin Neiman, Cameron Young, and Cameron Young is undoubtedly going to be popular again this week. Sam Burns, the winning machine, Sam Burns. Tony Finau is always an interesting each-way punt at the major championships. Max Homer. Max Homer who took, what was it, 99 putts on his last start? putting absolutely lights out at the moment if he can hit some fairways and greens he's going to be uh... oh he's been talking about it and we've, we've mentioned it in the podcast a lot he's, he's he's is it Phil Kenyon he's got on board now and he's, he's concentrating on getting that putting so he, he was one of these spike putters you know yeah. it, it was either plus eight or minus six he's now getting so much better with that putter more consistent which turns him into a you know, a proper player is going to make make the President's Cup this year. Oh, man. So, Finau and Homer. <laughs> Finau, Homer. Um, Aaron Wise. Yeah. Sung Jae-im. Now, Sung Jae-im didn't play the PGA Championship because he had COVID. So, I'm going back to his uh, Masters performance, which is eighth. But again, logically, that still gets him through the mm. criteria here. Um, Mark Leishman. Gary Woodland, which will please Barry. Um when he's back from his holiday, and um, the longest price of the lot is Lucas Herbert, who's again another one of those that I really struggle to get away with on the um, on the long shots piece that I put together for these uh, major championships. But um, again, quite rightly so, he's uh, he's fulfilling the criteria. Grab grab yourself a pen or press the back button, listeners. But is the winner in there? I'll I'll repeat the list from the top. DK Bryson, Thomas McElroy, Cam. I knew Cam was going to be on there just because he's mm. absolutely shafted me this week. Xander, kind of knew that. Spieth, Zalatoris, Joaquin, Cam Young, Sam Burns, Tony T2, Homer, Aaron Wise, Im, Leash, Woodland, and Lucas Herbert. Hmm. Will, yeah, the, will like the, the winner be in there, Paul? I quite like the look of that as a short list. Yeah, I do like the list, yeah. I do like so, the list. Uh, yeah, bit of overlay with some of the other stats that we've run through and are on the uh, on the preview, which uh, will be in the podcast description, and perhaps we, can, uh, perhaps we can dig the winner out for this. I'm trying to overlay players there who have done well in the northeastern United States mm. in my mind. Hmm. I wonder if Aaron Wise could win a, a major. <laughs> I'm not so certain about that. But you'd have said the same about um, Mito Pereira, as we said a few weeks yeah. ago when he was had the tournament in his hands on the 72nd tee. Yeah, and uh, Wise has been playing well. It was his second last time out uh, Memorial, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which was a tough old track. Mm. Gnarly rough. Yep. Never got super firm though. Never got super firm. No. I, th- I think that's just about us then, Paul, isn't it? Yeah, a bit more digging to do over the weekend and then we'll um, work out how we're playing our respective cards uh, for the previews on Monday and then the podcast Tuesday morning. We'll try and get Barry back on the show for next week. I, I will read out. I-, I was meant to do this at the top of the show, but I completely forgot. But you know, regular listeners might find this... Um, amusing. Barry is on a golfing holiday in which looks the most picturesque part of West Island. Um, the golf course he's playing is an absolute phenomenal beast of a lynx, isn't it? It looks absolutely mm. wonderful. We got this message. Thankfully, I haven't got my notification switched on on Skype, so this didn't wake me up at 3.10 this morning. I'm not going to make the recording in the morning, boys. Things got out of hand here. 
Boys on holidays and beer equals good times. Sorry to miss it, but I'd be a liability. And the best thing about that is, every word perfectly spelled, including liability. <laughs> At ten past three, when he was ten sails to the wind, on a few beers with his mates. Oh dear. Yeah. I wonder how his yeah. golf's going to be today. Yeah, I, I think it's. Um, it, they may well have looked at the forecast for the west of Ireland today and decided that um, they might not go out first thing this morning. And then just, I hope that Barry does have his notification switched on on his phone for Skype because just to twist the knife, Paul sent him a response at 6.35 this morning, which I'm sure <laughs> Barry was perfectly up for, saying, no worries, mate, catch up next week. You can imagine the phone going, and he's, oh, no, what are they doing? After he's had managed to catch the first two hours of his sleep. Oh, dear. Don't worry, yeah. Barry. Everything's fine. Uh, well, if you're listening, Barry, enjoy the rest of your break. Yeah. And, uh, Barry will be listening, and he'll be licking his chops with some of those names on there. His, his Tony yeah. Finals, and there's a list of players on there that he loves at the yeah. major. Well, Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland. Sung Jaim. Mm. He's always sweet on Sung Jay. So, yeah, we've got some decisions to make for next Tuesday. That will be our US Open Tips podcast. Thank you for your time this morning, Paul. It's been very useful. Yep. And, uh, yeah, same to you. Best of luck with your uh, your golfers in the mix this week. Yeah, not too bad. Over I've got two in the top ten after round one in Canada. Mm. Can't complain. Yep. Long, long way to go, though. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, we will see you again, listeners, next Tuesday for our US Open Tips podcast. As I said at the top of the show, if you could spare 30 seconds, 45 seconds to give us a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. We'll see you again next week. Goodbye. If you like betting on golf But everyone that you back misses the cut Get some experts involved all the stats and the tips and so much more cause it's the golf betting system the golf 